Second Kings 23, we've been away for a little while. We uh, have been in the life of the last good king of Judah, uh, Israel having uh, about 200 to 250 years before separated into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, the northern kingdom, not a single good king, the southern kingdom, Judah, through which the line of, of the Messiah all the way to Joseph and Mary, all the way to Jesus Christ, beginning with David, David uh, Jesus was called the son of David. The northern kingdom by this point has rebelled so much they no longer exist, which referred to in the Old Testament book of First and Second Kings as Israel. It no longer exists. The Assyrians, foreign powers, after the heavyweights had come in, Elijah and Elisha, to warn them, listen, if you guys don't turn around, the Lord is just is going to banish you, exile you from this land. This has already happened. However, the two tribes in the south, Judah and Benjamin, in Jerusalem, they are uh, they're still there. There's still a kingdom there, a visible kingdom. And Josiah comes in. He's the, the, the last good king. And we saw last time that we were here that uh, his, well, his grandfather, Manasseh, had so corrupted the land that uh, the, the book of the law was unknown to the people. They didn't even know there was one. And so Josiah, someone, they believe it, it was his mother, um, nurtured him in the things of the Lord. And as soon as he, be, uh, not as soon as he became king, I believe it was about eight years after he became king, he uh, began to cleanse the land of, of its idolatry. We'll see more of that tonight. But he also rebuilt the temple, first things first, rebuild the church, the church um, of course, there wasn't, it wasn't called a church then. It was the temple. And they found the book of the law. And they went to Josiah. They said, we found the book of the law. What's the book, book of the law? What's that? That's what can happen in 52 years, that people don't even know anymore what the Bible is. I got a note this afternoon that the city of Springfield, Massachusetts, is almost an unreached people group. Uh, is that nuts or what? There's only 2% of Springfield, Massachusetts uh, that, has, um, that are Protestant churches. Actually, I, I, I've known a couple of guys who tried, did start a church and the church closed down or there's been several Calvary, uh, two or three Calvary Chapel attempts at, at church plants there. It's a hard place. But not too long ago, it's not too long ago where Springfield, Massachusetts, the, the, the Word of God thrived there. Uh, you know, I don't think it it, 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 it was probably more than 50 years because there's been a decline up here in New England for really 200, um, over 200 years. But uh, uh, in just a short period of time, you can uh, hear they, they, they don't know 
even what the book of the law is. So they read it to Josiah the king. He tore his clothes. He uh, was aghast at what he um, at what he read. He's reading through um, the book, and it's telling them, "Look, you should be obeying the Sabbath. You should not be stealing. You shouldn't worship foreign gods. You, you shouldn't uh, engage in idolatry." And uh, he is so filled with fear for his people because there were so many warnings about Deuteronomy 28, for example, of what would happen if a people didn't follow their God. He went to um, a woman who was a prophetess. Uh, her name was Hulda. And he asked her, they asked her, his, his messengers asked her, what's going to become of us? And she said, uh, because of what happened during the time of Manasseh, be, be, it was just the rebellion has been so bad, the Lord is going to forsake this land. However, because Josiah and his heart was tender before me, he's not going to experience it in his lifetime. And so uh, that's where we left off uh, last time. And, and I do love verse 19. Um, of chapter 22, it's, it's Hulda says of Josiah, because your heart was tender. It's such a wonderful thing to have a tender heart before the Lord. That's what we all want. Robert Murray McShane wrote this. He was a wonderful man of God in the early 1800s in, in England. So above all things, cultivate your spirit. He's right. <laughs> If we don't have a tender heart before the Lord, uh, nothing else is going to work well. And he had a tender heart before the Lord. He had cultivated his heart. So in chapter 23, verse 1, it says, Now the king sent them, meaning Josiah, sent them to gather the elders of all of Judah and Jerusalem to him. So he's going out after finding out about the law, after finding out they had been disobeying the law for decades and decades, um, uh, they uh, gather all the, the men of, of, of Judah and Benjamin um, to, to Jerusalem. It says, the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the prophets, all the people, both uh, small and great, and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant. So, so he had read the Bible, was so aghast at what was going on, he calls all the people, and he himself, the king, reads to all the people. Uh, I, I mean, this is one godly leader. Uh, Josiah is a popular uh, name uh, in the Christian world, as it should be. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, with all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in the book and all the people took a stand for the covenant. 
You know, some uh, the ladies just finished the book of uh, the book of <laughs> the the autobiography of Charles Finney last summer. Four hundred and forty pages. When I and and when we had suggested that to him after the women's retreat, he's like, "What are you crazy? Four hundred and forty pages?" They did it. Uh, a, 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 a sizable group of our ladies read it. Such a wonderful book. The whole book really is about revival. And I told the leaders, uh, Danielle and Sue Grant, listen, yeah, there's incredible stories throughout, but what I really want you to focus on is what were the principles of the revival? And um, so that's what they studied. That's, that, that's what they looked like. Prayer was a huge part. Um, but in revival, there's always a fresh discovery of the Word of God. And you, we saw that in the Finney book, right? There's also a smaller uh, men's uh, book club, and uh, I don't know how far they are. How far are you guys? Halfway. That's, that's pretty good. That's 220 pages. But um, there's a fresh discovery of the Word of God, and so Finney um, really emphasized the reading of the Word of God. But then you also see a brokenness in the people. I mean, if there was anything evident in this book, and if you haven't read it, uh, go out and get the long version, the 440-page version of, of Finney's autobiography. You will not regret it. But there, there, this is what you see. You saw just brokenness in city after city after city. The people were just broken up because of their sin. They're realizing, we have really, we thought we were good. We are not. They, they were just broken. And we see that here with Josiah. Uh, number three, um, in revival, there's, there's, there's a commitment before the Lord. Jesus, you are my Lord. And number four, there's real acts of repentance. Like they're, they actually do what they say they're going to do. It's not just a nice idea. And, um, and, and that's, we see one, two, and three here, and we'll see four in the, uh, in the rest of the chapter. But this is, this is a real revival. Um, it's not the kind of revival we saw under Hezekiah, which was much more profound uh, than, than this one because uh, the time is up for, for Judah at this point. There's just been, um, there, there's just been so much re uh, rebellion. You know, in the book of Romans and throughout the Bible, you have this concept of the Lord just giving over a people um, uh, to their own sin. And so the rebellion has been so vast, but he is allowing at least the godly uh, in the land to experience one more fresh pouring out of the Holy Spirit here. And so um, revival always, a fresh discovery of the Word of God, brokenness, commitment, and I will add to that intense, pervasive prayer but number four is real repentance, and that's what we're going to see for right here in verse four. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, the priests of the second order, and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the host of heaven. I mean, can you imagine here that Josiah, in spite of the fact he's like this wonderful man of God, he didn't even know this stuff didn't belong in the temple. Because he didn't have the word of God. He didn't realize that. And he's reading this and he's like, whoa. Because, you know, as we have been through before in um, 
Second Samuel and first, beginning of First Kings, it's very specific what's supposed to be in the, in, in the temple, right? And he's reading it, and, and, uh, and also just in the Mosaic Law, what, what is supposed to be there and what they're supposed to rid themselves of. So even a good person, if they don't have the Word of God, they can stay in ignorance. And so uh, that's the emphasis on the Word of God in, in the Calvary Chapel movement and many other wonderful churches um, throughout the world. So he's bringing out of the temple the, uh, all the articles that were uh, for Baal, for Asherah, for all the host of heaven, and he burned from outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Now that is, that is significant. I don't ask you as many questions on Tuesday night as I do Sunday morning, but what was at Bethel? Someone shouted out, other than Freddie. What was, <laughs> what was at Bethel that was a big problem? Also, other than Sam and other than Stephanie. <laughs> what, what was at Bethel that was a big problem? Anyone remember here? I'll give you a hint. Jeroboam, the first king of northern Israel. What did he do? What? I can't hear you. He set up two golden calves, one in Bethel and one in Dan. And every king after, virtually every king after him, uh, the Lord, in the record of the history of those kings, reminds the readers they did not depart from the sin of Jeroboam, which was setting up those golden calves and saying, that's Jehovah, that's, that's Yahweh, that's the God who took us out of Egypt. A golden calf. They didn't, re- they didn't learn from you know, Aaron coming out of Egypt and setting up a golden calf. And, and so uh, by now the northern kingdom is, de- there is no northern kingdom, but but uh, there still, still are Jews there and people who worship uh, Jehovah. We'll see that a little later. But, but Josiah takes the ashes of these, um, these idols and he goes up and dumps them in Bethel just as a way of saying, you know, slam dunk against them in their face as, as a way of... Uh, of just condem- as a condemnation of what had happened all those years, all the worship that took place at that place in Bethel. And the king had done it to prevent people from going to the temple in Jerusalem, if you remember. It says, um, uh, to bring out the temple of the Lord, um, all the articles that were made for Baal, for Asherah. Asherah was the, the god of, uh, a god of, of sex, and, um, you know, Stephanie and I, were, we, we participated in the church plant in South Beach in, in Florida where, where as much as anywhere in the world, there's an idolatry of sex, a sexual idolatry, unbelievable sensual place. It was an interesting place to plant a church. And the church 20, started 25 years ago. It's doing wonderfully um, they moved a little bit up um, out of South Beach, up Miami Beach. They're still in Miami Beach. But um, it, it just is so grievous to, to be in that era, uh, area. The worship of Asherah now here. What, uh, what is this? 
2,500 years later, just so strong in the United States of America. A good friend of mine, Joe Pasquich, he was, um, he taught at one of our men's retreats a couple of years away. He just made a comment one time. He just said, Steve, we have no idea how sexually broken we are. He's right. He is absolutely right. What sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman, just the way that it breaks, or pornography, the way that it strips away the dignity of a soul. Now, there is restoration, but God hates it. It's an abomination. We will see in verse 13, he calls um, a lot of these uh, things abomination. Abomination is a sin of exceedingly great magnitude. And just the the damage that it does. So he takes the idols that were made for Baal, for Asherah, they're actually, and for all the hosts of heaven, they're actually, he's bringing them out of the temple. And he, he, he burns them and then dumps their, uh, he dumps their ashes uh, in Bethel. I, I do think that, uh, we're going to see him doing a lot of destroying here. He's going to destroy idols. And if you've never heard it before, please hear it now. It, you know, if you have stuff in your home, like it, it, everything's electronic now. But, but when I was your age, you know, or, or a, young, a young man or came to the Lord, everyone had records and CDs and magazines. And, and, and you don't, like, go give it to someone else. You, or if you have bags of weed or whatever, you, you, either, you flush it down the toilet, you put it in the fire, you destroy it. You don't leave it around um, for someone else to, to de de destroy them. And, and we're going to see Josiah destroying a lot of things um, here in his repentance and the repentance here it's important important to get the vehicles of sin out of your life if you have not put pornography blockers on your computer you should be doing it you com completely prevent access to anyone getting a hold of your computer including yourself but anyone else um, from from getting act destroy the access to it or whatever, whatever other idol that there is. Verse 5, Then he removed the idolatrous priests who, whom the king of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the city of Judah and in all the places around Jerusalem and those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellation, and to all the host of heaven." I got to tell you, the book of James says, don't everyone become a teacher because you're subject to a stricter judgment. And I, you talk about a betrayal. Here you got, here these guys, these priests actually agreed under Manasseh, under Ammon, to, they're, 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 they're priests of God, of Jehovah, and they agree to burn incense to all kinds of other gods, including the sun and the moon and the constellations. Let not many of you become teachers, lest you be subject to a stricter judgment. Uh, this is a, a serious, serious violation here. Verse 6, he brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord to the brook Kidron um, outside Jerusalem. He burned it 
at the brook Kidron and ground it to ashes. He threw its ashes on the graves of the common people. Now, in 2 Corinthians, like, like what's this about? He's throwing the ashes of idols that he burned on the graves of common people? Well, in 2 Chronicles, we find out that these are the graves of people who had worshipped these foreign gods. And again, it's just a, it's a symbolic act of just, look, this is a condemnation. Some of these graveyards you see, sometimes they're very ornate and, and, and things like that. And he's, he's basically, um, for, for all to see, he's saying, we are now people of Jehovah. It's, it's important, by the way, to mark yourself as a child of God. If you're at work, for example... Put a Bible on your office space. I used to have a little picture of Stephanie and the kids behind me that said, um, Jesus loves me with a heart. And no one ever told me to take it away, even though I was a manager. Uh, and uh, and, and, and you, you'll, you'll prevent yourself a ton of grief um, if, peop- if you mark yourself um, as a child of God at your workplace. And, and just don't, just be bold, just do it. Do, do, do something like that. And, and he's marking himself, look, I'm a different leader. And, um, and we're going to be living in a different country under my reign. Verse 7, he tore down the ritual booths of perverted persons. Um, that word in the Hebrew is kedeshim. That's those practicing sodomy and prostitution in religious rituals. It says, who were in the house of the Lord. There's these booths that had been set up right there in the house of the Lord uh, where the women wove hangings for the, woman, for the wooden images. So they, even, they made hangings um, of the different idols. They're, they're on the temple walls, <laughs> you know, this kind of thing. He brought all the priests from, verse 8, from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. Also, he broke down the high places at the gates, which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to the left of the city gate. Don't you love the detail? Or maybe you don't like the detail. Let me try to convince you to like it. It means it's a real historical document. It's not a fake. It's not some fable. It's not someone just making this up. Uh, this is a real historical document, and, and don't let anyone convince you otherwise. I spent uh, three semesters at a seminary where the teacher didn't believe any of this was true. It was all borrowed from Babylonian myths and, and things like this, and oh man, I was young in the faith, and I would, this guy and I were at each other's throats for three years. Uh, at one time, a student raised his hand and t- rebuked me in front of everyone and said, I came here to learn how to teach. I've learned how to learn, uh, not learn how to teach, to learn, uh, uh, to learn how to, to learn about, I don't know what they were learning. It was a Hebrew class, and he was a good Hebrew teacher. They sure, sure weren't learning about the Bible, um, and there's seminaries, many in this city, who just believe all this is fables. But they ha- they, uh, many times, they don't e- haven't even read it much themselves. And so all this detail, it's a, it's a, a, a D- in detail historical record that has been preserved by God for you and me in Boston on the night of March, what is it? What's, what's today's date? 14th, 
15th, 2022. Nevertheless, verse 9, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. Meaning, he didn't put these guys, these particular priests to death, but he wouldn't let these priests who had defiled themselves back into the ministry. But he still gave them the benefit of eating unleavened bread, which was one of the privileges of being a priest. I mean, it actually is required by the law. That's probably why Josiah did it. Verse 10, and he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or daughter pass through the fire to Molech. So there was child sacrifice going on among God's people, among his kingdom here. This is why, again, Josiah sent to the prophetess and she said, listen, the sin has gone to too much of an extreme these people are going to be exiled too. Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. Jerusalem, the temple's going to be destroyed. But not under you, Josiah, because your heart was tender um, before the Lord. But they, they were doing child sacrifice, um, as is happening in our country through abortion uh, as well. Verse 11, there, then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. So What? The kings of Judah had dedicated horses to the sun? What is going on? At the entrance of the house of the Lord, by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the officer who was in the court, and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. Last Sunday morning, we were in that thir the third teaching of the two verses in Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31, a Pharisee had come to Jesus, testing him, asking him, what's the greatest commandment? He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And we talked about on Sunday, what, what does that mean, love the Lord with all your strength? It means there's an intensity to your love towards the Lord. It's not just this soft ho-hum thing. And I know we all, we all fall short of it every hour of every day. That's why I praise the Lord for the, for, for the blood of Jesus. But that is what God wants for you. I hope all of you in here know that. He wants an intensity of your love to the Lord. And that's what's going on with this guy. His heart was tender before the Lord. This isn't like we saw, remember we saw Jehu in the north? He was like this super intense guy killing all the people who were worshiping Baal and then going way overboard. God wind up judging him and his family for just being a, a religious fanatic. That's not what's going on with this guy, Josiah. He is, heart is tender before the Lord. He's seeing all this stuff, how it's destroying people. And, and, and really, ultimately, it's an act of love, and, and there's an intensity to it. If you've never experienced the intensity of, the, of a love for God, oh, man, ask the Lord for it. Ask him, pray fast, and, and, and cry out to the Lord. I, I want a greater intensity Lord, you, you're the one, Lord, that's saying to me, I'm supposed to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Give me a greater intensity. Lukewarm, God will 
The Bible says God will spit those folks out of his mouth. It's, it's a serious thing. But here you have this guy, there's so much intensity uh, uh, to him. Verse 12, the altars that were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, now that was one seriously wicked king in the south, Ahaz, we read about him, which were the kings of Ju- which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made, uh, the, the, the two courts of the house of the Lord, the king broke down and pulverized there. What's the word for that in Spanish, Mary? What? Pulverizar? That's a word, huh? Pulverizar. Okay, so he, uh, he, he, he pulverized. Uh, pulverizó. He, he, he pulverized uh, the, uh, uh, which verse am I in? Oh yeah, verse 12. He pulverized um, these, these, uh, these, these images and these altars that Manasseh had set up right in the, eyes, uh, in the house of the Lord and threw their dust into the brook Kidron. Again, this is not some religious fanatic. He's not a Jehu, which we saw in the north. He's like overdoes it. He, he, he's, he, he, he really has a love for the kingdom of God. He has a love for God that's just intense. Verse 13, then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the people of, of Ammon. Remember, Solomon, he went south. He did begin. It says he loved the Lord, and the Lord loved him. The Lord loved Solomon. I believe at the time I said that's the only person uh, that I could think of in the Old Testament that is, it's ever said of them. But someone corrected me and came up. There was someone else, someone else he did. But he, but he went south. And he started building these, um, b- building these uh, temples to foreign gods. Why? Someone shout it out. Because his wives wanted them. And then he wound up them winning over, they, his heart was won over to them, and he participated in it, including child sacrifice. Solomon, this, this man who God loved, and, and, and here the king goes in and rips them apart. You do have to wonder, not even Hezekiah got rid of this stuff. So many things, they become like historically important. It's like, oh, you don't want to mess with that. Solomon, you know, Solomon. <laughs> Remember Hezekiah in his reform, he took the Moses' brass, uh, the, the, the brass serpent that Moses had used in the desert and, and lifted up and people looked at it and were healed of snake bites and it had been turned into an idol and, and, and Hezekiah got rid of it. Uh, you know, he probably could have gotten whatever, a million dollars on eBay but he, 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 he destroyed it completely, and that's what's going on here. With, uh, and he says he broke in pieces the, the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and filled their places with the bones of men. Wow. So you know, you may ask, well, is this what we're supposed to do today? Like go around Boston, look at... The answer is absolutely not. 
This was a theocracy. We don't live in a theocracy. This was the kingdom of Israel. Um, the, the, the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not like this. The weapons of our warfare now are love, love, love. I always love, I, speaking of love, I always love what Napoleon said. You know, I was a real, I'm a real powerful man. So was Charlemagne, so was Caesar. Uh, but look, look where we are today. Jesus Christ has millions of people. Uh, we use weapons of destruction. All he uses is love. And millions of people will just follow them. And, and, it's, and it's true. So this is a theocracy. So it's like crazy. At, at some times in human history, there were some tragic, tragic times in, in human history. Uh, after the Reformation, after Martin Luther, there was a couple fanatics who took verses like this and they started killing people. Catholics, killing Catholics because, you know, and not understanding that Jesus said, what did he say to, uh, to his disciples? Put away your sword. Those who, um, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. So we're not in a theocracy today, but here Josiah is taking responsibility. When I say a theocracy, meaning God is the king. Here and, and, and the king of Israel's responsibility for all his people um, to be worshiping the Lord. So verse 15, uh, it says here that uh, the, the altar that was at Bethel. So here's this. We talked about this earlier. This is the golden calf. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, had made... Both that altar and the high place, he broke down. So even though the northern kingdom had been uh, basically wiped out, the Assyrians had come in and they took all the people and uh, to all over, exiled them to all over the world, these altars still exist. Josiah leaves the southern kingdom. He leaves the kingdom over which he has authority and just goes up north and, and starts doing away with those idols that had caused so much grief in the heart of the Lord. God grieves when he sees his children going in and bowing down to other gods. He grieves at that. And um, it, it says that uh, he burned the high place and crushed it into powder and burned the wooden image. Verse 16, Josiah turned... As Josiah turned, he saw the tombs that were on the mountains, and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. So, what's this about? 200 years earlier, when Jeroboam initially set up this golden calf for people to come and worship, Remember that man of God who went up there and rebuked him? It was in, let me see, 1 Kings chapter 12. Uh, so Jeroboam was scared to death of anyone going down to Jerusalem because that was the southern two tribes didn't want anyone going over there and their hearts being won over um, towards this other kingdom in the south. 
And uh, so this God sent a prophet up there, and he went right in front of this golden image that had been set up by a, a, a king who didn't have to set it up. God had told him, look, because of Solomon's sin, I'm going to rip ten tribes away from Israel. I'm going to give them to you. And if you follow the Lord, I will bless you. But he didn't follow the Lord. He set up this golden calf and said, this is the calf that we're supposed to worship. So God sends a prophet up there. And in um, First Kings, we're in Second Kings now, but in First Kings 13.2, the prophet says, O altar, O, o altar, Behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned, burned on you. This is 200 years before. God gave the name of this king who would live 200 years later, Josiah, to a prophet, I don't think we know the guy's name, who goes up there to Jeroboam the king and says, shame on you. And by the way, um, this, this, this altar that you made, it's going to be destroyed someday by a, a godly king named Josiah. And what did Jeroboam do? It says, Jeroboam said, arrest that man. And as soon as he, arrests, he said that, his arm shriveled. And he was terrified. It's like, whoa, what's going on? Hey, pray for me that my, my, my arm would unshrivel. The prophet did. But Jeroboam still didn't repent. He still didn't repent. He just went on with his, his, his sin, even though that happened. The Bible says that just the deceitfulness of sin keeps men in bondage. But God gives so many warnings along the way. And he sent his so many prophets, so many, and he does the same thing with us. When, when, when people come to me with stories of tragic sin, their life has been ruined, um, if I ask probing questions, without exception, everybody was warned by the Lord over and over and over again, and they ignore the warnings. God's faithful to warn us. God may be warning one, someone here today just trying to convince you, don't, you got to turn away from this, from this road that you're on. And, and, and he's being merciful to you. Unfortunately, um, Jeroboam uh, did not turn back. And uh, anyway, so jo Josiah, verse 16, he sees these graves that were on the mountain. So these were graves. It was, he took the bones out of the graves, out of the tombs, and, and he burned them and then uh, threw them on the altar just as the, um, the prophecy that happened 200 years ago. These are people who they would worship this image, and this is what religion does, right? They say, oh, you know, I'm a real pious person. I want my grave. I want my tombstone. I want to be buried right around this, 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 this image that I've been worshiping my whole life. That's, that's what these were. And so jo Josiah digs up the bones, burns them up, and, and fulfills this prophecy that had been made about him uh, 200 years earlier, verse 17. Then he said, what gravestone is this? So he comes across some gravestones like, whoa, whoa, here's a gravestone. What gravestone is this? So the men of the city told him, 
it is the tomb of the man of God who had come from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. So if you remember the tragic story of that guy, he, he wound up dying. I think he got killed by a lion. They, 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 they um, buried him there. And so Josiah says, no, don't burn those, don't burn those bones. Uh, leave them there. Verse 18, he, uh, he says, let them alone. Let no one move his bones. So they let his bones uh, alone with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. Verse 19 some of you are saying, oh, I hope he like lets up. I mean, this is, this is getting a little long and old. I mean, sorry, it's the Bible. God is going to tell us what, what we need to hear. He's going to go on. He's going to continue here. Verse 19, Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the city of Samaria. Now, keep in mind, Calvary Chapel, he's not even in his kingdom anymore. He's up in the northern uh, kingdom that does not even a kingdom anymore. Uh, and he, he's going up to the high places and he's cleansing the whole land, which we now know as Israel today, um, of these shrines. Um, it, it says, which the king of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger. And he did to them according to all the deeds he had done in Bethel. Verse 20, he executed all the priests of the high places. So in the southern kingdom, he doesn't put the priest to death. In the northern kingdom, he does. For whatever reason, he, he actually puts them to death um, and, and burned men's bones on them. And, he and then he returned to Jerusalem. So he personally went up to cleanse the land. Again, this is a theocracy. Uh, this is very, very... Jesus fulfilled the law. He put us on a new covenant. Very different idea. Um, what we're under today, but he feels a responsibility uh, to cleanse the land of all the idolatry, all the things that had grieved the Lord and had brought so much misery and sorrow upon the people, which sin always does. Sin leads to death. And, and, and so um, this is, is what he does. So he returns to Jerusalem, verse 21 says, then the king commanded all the people saying, keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. So remember, on the 10th plague, really, the death of the, first, uh, the firstborn in Egypt, there was the first Passover where God had said, slay the lamb in each, each house among the Israelites who were slaves in, the, uh, in, in Egypt and take the blood and put some of it over the over the door, some of it beside the door. Of course, the, door, the blood on the top would have dripped down. It was the sign of a cross. Passover. Jesus is our Passover, we are told in the New Testament. I think on two occasions that Jesus is our, our Passover. And, but they didn't know enough to keep the Passover uh, because the book of the law had been lost for over 50 years uh, it, it, in only 50 years, they went from knowing a lot about the Bible to knowing nothing about the Bible because the Manasseh, the king, had basically removed the Bible from public life and it turned the hearts of the... It says of Manasseh, he influenced the people of the land so that they no longer 
worship God or cared about God. But Josiah finds the book. He finds the book of the law. Whoa, what's this thing called the Passover? Can you imagine a Jew not knowing what the Passover is? Well, that's what you do when you remove, um, when you remove the book of the law. And he says, okay, now we're going to keep the Passover, verse 24. Moreover, um, Josiah put a... Sorry, verse 22. Such a Passover surely had never been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. So that was one massive barbecue. I mean, this is one lamb roast. had never been held. And so he loves the Lord. He loves Jesus. This is, this is what it means to love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's an intensity here. And he's, he's not just doing religion for himself. He's bringing in the people of the land to participate in the joy and the love of God here. Verse 23, but in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. I always love that little expression, before the Lord. Do you know what you do is before the Lord? Do you know that? What you do is before the Lord. You're before the Lord. He held the Passover before the Lord. And the Lord, it, 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 it was such a blessing to the Lord to, um, to experience what's going on. I just, again, I've been just spending some time and, uh, with the concept of this. The Bible says that the, the Levitical, many of the Le- Levitical offerings, which were free will offerings, meaning they were voluntary, they were not required, they were a sweet aroma to the Lord. Do you know that you can be a sweet aroma to the Lord your life just by being simple obedience to the word of God? You can be a sweet aroma to the Lord. It says in Ephesians chapter um, 5, verse 2, it says, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice for a sweet-smelling aroma. Paul says the same thing, I think, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that you can be a sweet aroma to the Lord. What a wonderful life purpose. Just through your simple obedience, you can be a, a, a sweet aroma to the Lord. He goes on, verse 24, he gets into people's own, it says in verse 24, moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists, clearly forbidden in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 19.31, give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. Let me tell you, when you go get your fortune read, you're defiling yourself. You're defiling yourself when you participate in trying to communicate with the dead. And I look back, it's a crazy story that I think about sometimes. In seventh grade, one of the teachers, this is a crazy story. In a, I was in a private school in, in South America at the time. It was an American school. And um, one of the teachers took a bunch of the kids and tried to communicate with the dead. That's crazy. 
I mean, at the time, it sounded so funny because I wasn't in a Christian family. But she was defiling those kids. That's what she was doing. She was defiling them. It says, says right here that, that when you do that, you defile. You are defiled by them. Josiah is removing um, the mediums and the spiritists uh, and, and the household gods and idols. So, wow, now he's going into people's homes. It's like, hey, you, you can do what you want in public, but you're going to go into my home? You want going into my own bedroom? Stay out of my bedroom. Josiah was removing household gods and, uh, and idols, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Josiah didn't know about this book. But midway through his reign as king, they find this book. And so he's just carrying it all out. Verse 25, now before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart. Wow. That includes David. That includes Jehoshaphat. That includes Hezekiah. That is quite a statement. Now before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with, with all his soul, with all his might. Sound familiar? Last Sunday morning, Mark chapter 12, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. According to the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. Verse 26, here's what's amazing. Nevertheless, oh no, don't, 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 Lord, don't tell me this. Nevertheless, what? The Lord did not turn away from the fierceness of his great wrath which he, his anger was aroused against Judah. So they had stored up so much wrath. Remember in the Manasseh reigned for 50 years, Josiah's grandfather, it says Jerusalem was filled with innocent blood from one end of the city to another. And so God is putting off judgment, but by this time there's been a decree in, in, in the council of the Lord's heart to judge Judah. He did not turn from the fierceness of his wrath with his anger he had aroused against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. It's pretty amazing that Manasseh actually repented at the end of his life and the Lord accepted his repentance. Talk about a God of mercy. But nevertheless, uh, God doesn't turn away from his wrath. Verse 27, And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight, as I have removed Israel, and will cast off this city, Jerusalem, which I have chosen, and the house of which I said, My name shall be there. Speaking of the temple. My name shall be there. So the name of the Lord was in the temple. He says he's going to, even though all this had been done by, uh, by Josiah here, um, their time was up. It, within 20 years, um, that there would, they would be no more themselves, just like the north. 
Verse 28, now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? That's where we are next. We're going to go to the book of Chronicles. Verse 29, in his days, meaning that here, these are among the most confusing verses in the Bible here. Verses 29 through 30 are two of the most confusing verses in the Bible. Let's, let's look at them. In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went to the aid of the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates, and King Josiah went against him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him. Whoa, what? <laughs> what? Why does the Lord allow that? Like, c- come on, this guy, he, he had turned to the Lord, it says, more than any other king. And he goes out, all of a sudden he goes out in the battle. Now, we're going to read a lot more about this in Chronicles. There's a lot more detail here. But he, he, he goes out, um, and it says that the Pharaoh killed him, and they brought him back to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, anointed him and made him king in his father's place. So, you know, what, what is this all about? What happens here? I, there's two, two possible explanations, and it could be that both are true. I don't know if that's a cop-out, but one is that he was a very zealous king, and there's a quote by Oswald Chambers, an unguarded strength is a weakness, and you know, he, he, he didn't like people going, he didn't like this pagan army from Egypt going through the land, and he came out. The, the book of Chronicles says the Pharaoh acts, actually, it says, God gave Pharaoh a warning to warn him, don't come up against me. And he disregarded it, and he got killed. You do need to worry about, the Lord has given all of you in this room, strengths. You have a strength, but your strength can, and an unguarded strength is your, will become your greatest weakness. If, if you don't be careful, you'll get into a great amount of trouble through, through your strength, and unguarded zeal. And we just really need to be careful what battles we get in sometimes. I mean, just all the times, particularly what involves, from time to time I get involved in, in, in problems in other churches where I really feel like the Lord is telling me to, I'm asked to come in, hey, can you work with this? Can you help me here? But I gotta be, all of us need to be careful what we get involved in and really seek the Lord. Because just because it's a good idea doesn't mean it's God's idea. And so that is one explanation of what happened here. You just have unguarded zeal. I have a simpler explanation. Anyone guess what it is? My explanation? He wasn't a very good fighter. Oh, man. Someone want to do better than that? What's that? It was the will. It was the, it, God just wanted this man. He just wanted him. I wanted to take him to heaven. Recently, I went to a funeral of a woman in, in, uh, who, in Florida, and it was really tough getting there. I mean, I, it just had a one or two days' notice, and I had to go down there because this woman has been praying for me for 30 years. 
And she died younger, not, not, she, she wasn't young, but she, she wasn't old either. She wasn't incredibly old. And she was just such a unique woman. I, Stephanie and I met with her husband, and um, I just told him, I, I don't know that I've ever, ever met anyone like your wife. And he agreed. But I just, I think sometimes God wants people. He just wants them. Your time's up. I want you. Particularly, it, it, it is apparent that not too many people were following jo- Josiah's um, example. Um, and, and God had already decreed judgment over the land, and it would begin. Essentially, the judgment would begin after Josiah died, the beginning of the end. And so he loved Josiah, and he just wanted him. But, you know, it could be somehow, you know how it is with, this, with the Lord, you know, the sovereignty of God and free will, and we don't, we'll never be able to reconcile those two things. And it could have been, there was, there was some both in there. 